Andrew, I have one question for you. How can the same shit happen to the same guy twice? It's the D'Souza Palooza! That's right. We're talking Die Hard 2 today as the kickoff to our D'Souza Palooza. Andrew, <laughs> you are the genius who came up with the brilliant name D'Souza Palooza. Uh, so, so what is a D'Souza Palooza? Well, that's a good question, Michael. That's a great, great question. Uh, the D'Souza Palooza is uh, us taking a, a shot at doing a run through a handful of movies over the next couple of weeks, uh, specifically focused around uh, one of the the uh, more notorious writers uh, for film, uh, Stephen E. D'Souza. Uh, he has he has been tied to probably some of the most uh, noteworthy action movies of the 1980s and 1990s. And we wanted to take a special run at this uh, by looking at maybe the latter half of his career. Uh, he got himself uh, most known for uh, writing the movie 48 Hours and then segue that into the uh, fantastic movie known as Commando. Uh, and then he also had some some bigger hits. Obviously, uh, probably his biggest hit was Die Hard and then Die Hard 2, followed by a run of, um, you know, decent action movies in the early 90s. He also took his uh, a hand at directing the Jean Don, very, uh, Jean-Claude very Van Damme successful. classic known as Street Fighter the Movie. Uh, but what we wanted to focus on for this was uh, we wanted to preserve some of those earlier movies for, for some later runs. Um, I'm hoping around Christmas we may have a, a couple of guests join us to do a commando run. So what we wanted to do was focus on on D'Souza's career really post Die Hard, because that's where I think he, he kind of really galvanized um, um, his position. Uh, he is one of the few writers that is reportedly uh, uh, written scripts and, and movies that have made over two billion at the box office. Uh, and, and generally um, has been has kind of been known for his quippy kind of punchy scripts, uh, always ties really well with action movies and his rise and sort of uh, career trajectory really follows sort of the trajectory of action movies going from the, the mid 80s up through the mid 90s. And so I think it's kind of an, it's an interesting path for us to, to go down. And I think a super great way to kick it off is with um, Bruce Willis, who they <laughs> Did some very successful movies in one notoriously unsuccessful movie uh, that that we may get to later. Um, but I think Bruce Willis is the perfect guy for delivering uh, D'Souza's style of dialogue and humor that he's gets these every man who can deliver that quippy one liner and not. It's got a little more uh, punch the humor than maybe Arnold kind of given his one liners. <laughs> I, uh, I, think, I think it's a good marriage, Bruce Willis I, and D'Souza. I agree. Uh, in fairness to D'Souza, he gave his hand at, at trying to write for Arnold and Commando, and I would argue that's probably about as wooden. I would say John Matrix is more wooden than the Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's not saying a lot. And I love well, Commando. Wait, 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 wait. Are you forgetting about the Boy George line? <laughs> well, I thought they called him Go George. <laughs> it was top all the confusion. Um, yeah, okay. we're, we're definitely covering Commando later because I think that's probably one of the movies we've all seen the most uh, or we've seen the most. Yeah, I, I feel we get to save that for when we're not awful at doing this, though. <laughs> that deserves better. Well, then I guess we'll be waiting a long time. <laughs> yes, it's very true. But and don't get me wrong. Die Hard 2 I, 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 is a very, very special place in my heart. I I love. But And so for D'Souza, uh, it's, it's definitely an impressive career. Um, starts out in TV, big break with 48 hours. Although I'm always questioned with that, how much is any Walter individual Hill. Walter Hill, but then how much is just like 
you just caught Eddie Murphy. Like you just grabbed onto a rocket ship to the fucking moon. And like yeah, that's anyone true. could have anyone could have been writing that. And like you just this galactic superstar was gonna carry you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that, that's that's true. I, I do think it was there's some some serendipitous timing with uh, catching Andy Murphy because they caught him pre Beverly Hills Cop. They caught him, I think, when he was still on SNL. Yeah, and so he was he was like right on the bubble of of being just uh, a megastar. And uh, um, but I think when you kind of have D'Souza's quippy writing and you also have Eddie Murphy's humor, that's that's probably a pretty pretty damn good combo. And, um, and I believe on that one, D'Souza was updating a script that had been kicking around for quite a while in Hollywood that they had been out there in like the seventies and updating it um, to work in the, in the eighties. Uh, but so, all right, well, so what are we here to talk about today though, Michael? Die the, hard the Palooza. Die harder, <laughs> which <laughs> when I, when we were kids, it was die hard to die harder. That was the name of the movie. Yeah. I feel everywhere I look now, it's just Die Hard 2. I feel the Die Harder has been like... Yeah, because it's fucking stupid. It's fucking awesome. (laughs) It does feel like a bad play on Rambo or First Blood 2 Rambo or or whatever. I'm going to get it wrong. But like the second Rambo movie um, has kind of that same weird, like the naming convention just never made any sense. (laughs) For for anything that has first in it, you kind of can't just do a two. Yeah, it's like I, a never a never ending story part two, or like you just you kind of painted yourself into a corner on that one. And I apologize; it was Rambo First Blood Part Two, <laughs> which doesn't doesn't make any sense. Uh, so no, so I, I've come with these types of action movies. I have gone on quite a journey in my life. I feel oh, as please. a kid, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The world is dying to hear about this journey. So thank God I finally have a I hope it's a journey of your sexuality and your, <laughs> your coming of age. <laughs> oh, that's another podcast. But um <laughs> so I fucking loved the die hard movies, the first three as a kid. Like and just watched them a shitload, had the VHS box set when it came out on DVD, had the uh, DVD box set, and like I mean the super bright shiny silver box set things that were like fucking awesome and like the dvd one they were all two discs with like a whole disc because of like special features um so i was a massive massive diehard um diehard two fan and love diehard the vengeance and one of like the best arguments our friend jay and i would have is he was always a diehard the vengeance is the best diehard movie guy and i was always the original diehard is the best movie guy and that's always a fun argument I uh, to be controversial, I actually have to side with Jay on that one. I uh, you motherfucker. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really like the chemistry between Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. Again, they caught Samuel L. Jackson right before yeah. he kind of went huge too. I think that was like the same year or the year after he did Pulp Fiction. So they caught him so, probably uh, perfect timing as well. And Red- I think that was huge. Re- Reginald Vale Johnson doesn't quite do it as much for you as Samuel L. Jackson does. Uh, I know I like Samuel Jackson. I just, uh, um, uh, I just think Reginald Vell Johnson, I think the whole, the whole nation was just probably going through an overload and oversaturation of, um, family matters. And that's probably <laughs> why I think we were all like, no, I think let's go this other direction for, for that role for his sidekick in part three. Well, thank God they were able to bring him back for Die Hard 2. <laughs> <laughs> America would have not stood for it. 
I, I wish he, I wish, have him. I wish he had a bigger role in this. That that was one one disappointing thing with and Reginald Vell Johnson. I, is such so a, listening could, to uh, the Rennie Harlan commentary, he actually did say. Uh, and what was funny was he he did not know the TV show, but did say like, oh, like like from the original, um, and like and we we could not get him for much more than this because he he was doing a TV show. And like, <laughs> I, I was really hoping Rennie Harlan was secretly a massive Family Matters fan and was gonna. <laughs> we tried to get the Urkel guy, but it wouldn't work, <laughs> so we settled for Reginald Vell Johnson. <laughs> Flawless. Uh, thank you. I have no idea what I don't <laughs> have any Rennie idea Harlan. what Rennie Harlan sounds like. Uh, not, gonna... not, not unlike that. I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> like, okay, perfect. That's that's what I was hoping for. Uh, so I, the, these were a massive part of my um, growing up and getting into action movies. And, that, and so the second part of the journey was as you grow up and like you start making fun of little things in these movies. And so something like the title being Die Hard 2, Die Harder, as you get older, it's kind of easy to poke fun on that because it is kind of dumb. But then there's a third act to that where you realize the people making the movie are in on that joke. They understand Die Hard 2, Die Harder is kind of dumb, but that's the movie they're making. And they're not oblivious to these flaws. They are making a giant crazy action movie and part of that is having a giant crazy title like die hard Two, die harder that realizing these people making this aren't stupid they know what they're doing they aren't for the most part for the most part we'll get we'll get into we'll get into some things but of knowing like oh i'm not i'm when i'm laughing at this stuff i'm laughing with the people making it most of the time not laughing at them no, that's, that, like, that's they, fair. They found like this is in there because they think it's funny. Um, that's and that, and when, that's it, fair. When you're like a teenager, sometimes you think you're smarter than the movie, and it's like no, these people are way smarter than me at making a movie. Like they they know what they're doing. Um, so I, I know you're obviously a massive action guy. Like Die Hard is just such a staple. Yeah, I, I think um, growing up, I had pretty much the same experience. I remember, I can't remember, see, Die Hard 3 came out, I think, in 1995, probably in 96. I remember that was about the time the VHS three-pack came out for all three, Die Hard 1, 2, and 3. I remember having that. I remember watching uh, Die Hard 2 on repeat on VHS a lot and loving it. Uh, and also, that was about the same time, I think, they released a PlayStation game that was yeah. a diehard. I think it's called Die Hard Trilogy. Uh, I mm-hmm. can't remember the name right now, but it was on PlayStation. 1. Oh, it is. And it was um, like different types of like, it was like an over the shoulder shooter for Die Hard 1. And then the next game in the, in, on the disc was Die Hard 2, which was like a first person um, shooter. And then Die Hard 3 was entirely like taxi focused around driving around New York, defusing bombs. Yep. I went back and watched the graphics. I remember in my head, it was like, this This is the best game I've ever played. I went back and looked at some videos on YouTube. Uh, it looks shitty, but uh, I would still be yeah. super pumped to play it uh, even today. We're uh, so spoiled with graphics. Those old PlayStation games like that are borderline unplayable. And it, it's insane. We were somehow able to play them back then. Oh, I distinctly remember like uh, being driven. I can't remember how old I was. I think I was like 14. My grandfather took me to it. Now it's like a, a weirdo. My grandfather took me to Toys R Us so I could buy a copy of Metal Gear Solid. 
I remember pulling the booklet out of it and being like, look at this. Look how realistic it looks. And it's like, (laughs) this guy's face looks like a block of shit. And I'm like, look how realistic it is. It's amazing. What's crazy is they upgraded that for the GameCube to be better. (laughs) It's how bad it was. They could, the GameCube had better graphics. I mean, GameCube came later. I'll give them that. But I just remember thinking like (laughs) my, my expectation, but you also think like we came from the 8-bit generation. So like, yeah, the the bar was already pretty low. So anything Which, above that was better. So, <laughs> so, but Metal Gear Solid is still my all-time favorite video game. Oh, it's up there. I, uh, and not I, least of all because it had a big part of us becoming friends. Uh, it's Metal Gear Solid too, so you can't give that to the Metal Gear Solid one. But no, no, it's it it the first Metal Gear Solid. Oh, you're right. No, we, we we bonded over the strategy guide. So yeah, because you had the strategy guide, and I'd asked to borrow it from you every day in study hall because uh, you oh. had it like a month before the game came out or something. Yeah, I uh, I killed uh, Hito Kojima to actually get my hands on that. <laughs> so it's really really challenging. Uh, I'm actually I cannot travel to Japan because of that. Um, but yeah, no, I I, I, die, I die hard. I, I had the same experience. It was sort of an action staple uh, as a kid for me. And uh, I think what I liked about it, and, and to me, what set it apart was uh, uh, Bruce Willis. In this, is uh, he's got a lot of really good one-liners. I would argue in some in some cases he's way better at delivering the one-liners or, or making them have some impact compared to Arnold or, or Stallone. At the same time, those guys are both again, they're so wooden, their delivery is kind of off. Um, to your point, D'Souza's writing really, really meshes pretty well with the sort of character that that Willis was playing. And and John McClane in this, the main character, uh, and we'll touch on you know the plot here in a second, but McClane in, in all of the movies actually has a vulnerability to him. He's not he doesn't have superhuman strength. Maybe he has superhuman endurance, but uh, he doesn't have superhuman well, strength. I- and I think you're talking about the first three movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, first three. I'm not talking like I, pretty much anything <laughs> yeah. after 1995 for Die yeah. Hard is kind of dead to me. Yeah, kind of. I, I I liked uh, Live Free or Die Hard, you know, a bit. It, it's probably a better movie outside of looking at the first three. Uh, Good Day to Die Hard is a huge piece of crap. So <laughs> did not enjoy that. Um, I don't know. I just feel like a like a bad money grab, but. Uh, yeah, so I, I think the the vulnerability and the the personality that that um, Bruce Willis brings to the John McClane character with D'Souza's writing, they pair up pretty well, and I think uh, that's part of why I think you, you you had so much personality coming through from from McClane in the first one, and it continues here, and and uh, uh, you can kind of see D'Souza's humor stitched throughout the script and, and throughout the other characters. But uh, yeah, no, this was definitely a high watermark for as a kid for for action movies. Um, and I think there's some fun there's some fun things in here that kind of dovetail this into the old movie or the first movie, as well as some other, some of D'Souza's other other uh, scripts he's written um, in, in, over the last ten years around this time. Yeah. So, so speaking of <laughs> how it's related to some other stuff, uh, so a little bit of the plot. Well, first, John McClane uh, to open his sweater game is extremely on point. He looks phenomenal to open this movie, uh, and even makes a phone call. So it opens, he's at uh, Dulles International Airport, Washington, D.C. Definitely not at LAX or um, at the airport in Denver uh, where they filmed it. Where snow is being dumped Clearly, (laughs) clearly Dulles, Um, which I I have been to all three of those airports. And none of them look like that. (laughs) I have zero ability to differentiate. So it might as well be Dulles. People who can actually go online and bitch about the differences are insane. Um, So John McClane's picking his wife up from the airport. 
and her flight's delayed and he notices some suspicious or what he thinks is suspicious activity and investigates and turns out a rogue military group is seizing control of the airport in an effort to free a general from andrew what country is this general from val verde <laughs> I'm only going to talk in either wrestling or monster truck voices for the rest of this till my voice gives out. Also, I uh, you're kind of stepping on the podcast I do with Macho Man Randy Savage, so you know. R.I.P. R.I.P. Big Man. Uh, sad. Um, so Val Verde, <laughs> you might know it from Commando. Com- yeah, you might you- know it from Predator. <laughs> uh, might know it from an episode of I forget what TV show. Just use it. On a TV show, D'Souza wrote long before any of that stuff. Or no, I think it was a TV movie he did and thought they could get away with it. There was another tie into like a really old D'Souza thing um, that I saw in like an interview with him. But anyway. um, I was really hoping you were going to tell me that episode of Knight Rider that he wrote uh, was also somehow uh, Kit and Michael have to drive to Valverde uh, to to rescue uh, General Esperanza. So not shockingly, everyone else is pretty fucking useless as John McClane is trying to stop these terrorists. And uh, by the end, he is on his own. And uh, it's a great piece of writing. Um, and obviously very similar to the original. His motivation is his wife is in one of the planes in the sky. The terrorists are stopping from like, preventing from landing and will eventually run out of fuel and crash. So he has a very personal motivation, but also, you know, it's John McClane. You know, he's going he's to try to stop the bad guys. Uh, and But I think this movie does a fantastic job of, by the third act, it's just John McClane versus these rogue military terrorists. And it's all up to him to stop them, save the day, save, I don't know. I don't know. It's a, a interesting question how many thousands of people are at risk um, in the skies above uh, Dallas Airport. Uh, I, I don't know, but according to Dick Thornburg, there was at least thousands of people that he was up in the air with, which for uh, some reason they couldn't fly to another airport. That's uh Well, they say subdue. Okay. And then they cut off communication, but it's a fair point of why they all can't. And so actually so let's get into some of the writing of so I did a little research on D'Souza in particular with writing and um some good stuff. The I Was There Too podcast. He's on an episode of that. That's a good episode. And he talks yep. a lot about the Running Man. Um, but then gets into Die Hard and Hudson Hawk and that. And it's very, very good. I highly recommend it. And then um, a couple of interviews and a pretty good interview in Entertainment Weekly around 94 when he was probably promoting Street Fighter and that. <laughs> and it, so this is kind of what I was talking about of getting to like a third act and like watching movies of understanding like these people are consciously like making these choices. So D'Souza and even like Rennie Harlan is talking about they're conscious of somebody could radio like these airplanes have radios. Somebody could contact them and divert them to somewhere else. It wouldn't be a hundred percent this one controlled tower that these terrorists have taken over um, or prevented communication from, but acknowledging this is the movie we're making and like you get the audience to buy in. And yeah, if you're going to nitpick this shit, like, okay, <laughs> then don't enjoy the movie. But if oh, you want to get, I, yeah, I actually, I actually just thought of something that blows a hole in that plot. 
um because they make a big deal about it and i actually just realized they never call it back is uh they have airphones and they make a fucking huge deal about how john mcclain doesn't know how to use a fax machine and he doesn't know how to use airphones and he doesn't know how to use pages yes. <laughs> and then i just realized the whole problem with this movie is oh yeah they can't communicate with the planes all throughout this terrorist uh event which, right. is, <laughs> which is preventing them i'm like couldn't they have just called the airplane from the through the through the air from phones? the airphones <laughs> Like I, Which so what's really funny about that is it's not all right, it podcast, was not possible. Podcast, podcast done. We figured we solved this one. We don't need to talk about this anymore. <laughs> but what's hilarious about that point is it's actually not possible to call to an airphone. You can only call from an airphone. So that actually wouldn't work. But the movie presents that it would work because John McClane gets paged by his wife and calls, and her, calls on her on a phone. From, yeah. So the piece the, of the, shit movie. The real world logic that destroys it is actually not true, but the movie presents it as true. Well, I will, I'm going to choose to, I love this movie enough. I'm going to choose to forget about the idea that, that it can, the entire plot can be undone through a single phone call. <laughs> and i'm going to go with the let's keep talking about this because this is this is a lot of fun and you touched on yeah. it right rennie harlan is the director uh and this was pretty early in rennie harlan's career um i think he had come off of some success with with uh i think it was freddy nightmare on elm street part three dream warriors which is pretty it good was, it's three or four but yeah i forget which one so i i, I listened to the um commentary and rennie harlan kind of talked about how he got this um, one, the studio really wanted McTernan to come back, but he he really wanted to do um, Hunt for Red October. I think uh, was, which, he was he was committed, right? He was like locked in for it already. I'm sorry, yeah, you're right. right. It, it was Freddy Four for it was uh, okay, whatever the crazy uh, name is for Nightmare on Elm Street Four. So, um, Rainy Harlan does Freddy Four, and that gets him this movie um, Ford Fairlane, and he's working on that. Um, and off because Fox is scrambling because this comes out pretty quick after Die Hard and they're scrambling to get this made and they got this guy Rennie Harlan uh, Finnish director who you know did Nightmare 4 he's working on this movie and looking into the dailies and they're like man I think this guy could do this and they bring him in and basically he's doing this Ford Fairlane movie in Die Hard 2 more or less at the same time because Fox is pushing so hard to get the Die Hard 2 out. And, but it was the dailies from Ford Fairlane that really got um, Fox to look at and say, yeah, maybe this guy. And so he met with like Bruce Willis and they worked and that's, um, that's kind of how he pulled it off um, to get into this. Like, man, hell of a, hell of a run, <laughs> hell of a year for that guy doing two major studio pictures who do you, who do you think was harder to up. work with, though? Who do you think was harder to work with? Andrew Dice Clay or Bruce Willis in 1990? <laughs> I, my money's on uh, Dice Clay. Andrew Dice Clay. I don't think Willis was quite... I think Willis was still pretty happy to be a movie star at that point. And was like really, up, really enthusiastic to be part of it and was going to give you everything he had and wasn't full-on bringing his own ideas um to projects that i That's, think would happen over the next few years well a, a year later a year after this you have another d'souza movie with hudson hawk which was a notorious yeah. uh nearly which, torpedoed yeah, well, <laughs> bruce willis's career movie so which there's some uh 
fun stuff if if we get to that one of D'Souza talking about what happened, what happened on that one. <laughs> I want to talk about it because there's just so many fucking crazy choices in that entire movie. I would look Frank Stallone's in it. I want to talk about that. Like that, there's lots of stuff I just would be pumped <laughs> to talk about. You know. Yeah, no, I, I think I think we will, I think we're gonna have to do that one. It's just like it's just you can't if you're doing a D'Souza Palooza. The D'Souza Palooza, it must not, it must include Hudson. Palooza. Thank you. Every time you, I say that, it actually makes me shit my pants. It's really, it's really unfortunate. <laughs> wow. Um, that's that's gonna slow us down a little bit. It is. Uh, I'm just sitting on the can. Go. I'm recording so, this right now. So some of, um, so I think some of the writing things um, from D'Souza in this, uh, it's just very. I, Watching it again, it'd probably been a little bit since I'd seen it. And I feel Die Hard 2 has gone up and down in like the public estimation of, oh, it's just Die Hard, but not as good. Or, oh, it's actually like, you know, oh, the first like one and three are really good and two is kind of bad. Or like, oh, you know what? Die Hard 2 is like a solid action movie. It's just, you know, when you compare it to Die Hard, that's unfair. So I feel it's just like gone all over the place. And watching it this time, I, I really, really loved it and really appreciated that D'Souza does a really awesome job, I thought, in the writing. That it's got a really solid three act structure of Willis is at the airport waiting to pick up his wife. Um, but things like move pretty good and pretty quick. You get into uh, he sees suspicious activity, investigates, and boom, these guys attack him. Oh my god, something's going down and like terrorists attack. And then you spend the whole second act of terrorist attacking willis trying to stop it like army comes in and just like action set pieces and just brilliant and i will probably get into this a little more but the end of the second act twist of the army special forces that come in are actually with the rogue military people they're they're on the same side as them it, it's such an awesome like act three all is lost moment that it's John McClane all by himself trying to stop these guys that you, you've pulled away every ally he's had any hope you had that like he'd have any help and it's just him to stop them and it, it like and he's still just like a cop and it's but it somehow land that it's believable that it goes to this place and it's believable that somehow he's on the wing of an airplane having fist fights with these army commandos trying with the, with to stop the, with, this. Yeah. He was fighting the dad from good like, times. Like yeah. the steps all add up and like you buy, like this is where this has, has led to, even if it's like, you know, you know, and like it's a ridiculous action movie premise, but it all, it all works. Well, I think you're forgetting about one key player in the third act that actually does help McLean, and that is Marvin, the simpleton who seems to live <laughs> under the runway. Who, uh, <laughs> so I think, and I would argue that guy actually is critical because he basically gets McLean he out is. to Esperanza. He gets him back to the airport. Mar Mar and Marvin's it's a really, him, yeah. So Marvin really much, fair point. Pretty much underpins the third and, act of this movie. And actually, that may have been a character who was. Probably the most problematic either. character in the movie. Not <laughs> quite regards. written right, or maybe not quite cast right. But there's a bunch of deleted scenes where he's super racist against Japanese people from his history in World War II. Even though this is an interesting this, choice this in guy 1990. Should, this guy should be like 
conservatively 80 years old and he's like maybe maybe 50 right. tops um, but that's a, good, that's a good touch point I, w- I wanted to hit was um, uh, the supporting cast. Uh, and I wouldn't rank Marvin up there, but I would say the, the supporting cast otherwise is really strong. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, I actually think that that's probably if you didn't have this cast around Bruce Willis, I think this would be a uh, could be a much worse movie um, to me. You've got, uh, you know, if we start with the good guys, you've got. Obviously, you have John McClane, which is played by Bruce Willis, but you have um, you have Fred Thompson, who's uh, being uh, played by, or I'm sorry, Fred Thompson is playing the head of the airport, and his role is to sort of be the the gruff old old guy to uh, to boss everybody around, and 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 he's kind of got this he's kind of got this like LBJ swagger about him. Uh, you've also <laughs> what I, got what I love about no sorry sorry, but what I love about Fred Thompson is. He's not like a dick to McLean, but he, he like straddles the line really well of believing McLean, but needing to do his job. And I think Fred Thompson does a fantastic job of communicating. He is listening to McLean and evaluating. He's not just, you know, I'm sure you're going to get to another uh, guy at some point who just um, is a total impediment to, to McLean. Oh yeah, I, I I yeah I comment on that, but uh, yeah, I, I I like Fred Thompson in this. Um, spoiler alert: We're going to talk about him in another segment here in a second, and at the end of the episode. But you've got um, you've also got Barnes, uh, which is played by a guy named Art Evans. Barnes is semi McLean's sidekick for probably the entire second act, and I think they have a pretty good pairing together. Uh, Barnes is one of the uh, the air traffic controllers who helps sort of. Uh, kind of quarterback McLean's um, getting around the airport and, and how he's going to solve stuff. And then you have this sort of reluctant hero, which is uh, Dennis Franz, who's the head of the, the airport police, who I would argue you could probably combine him. Carmine with... Lorenzo. <laughs> yeah. You, you, Carmine Lorenzo. Jesus Christ. Combine Lorenzo and his very New York, uh, Italian New York brother, Vito, who's introduced at the beginning of the movie when, when McLean gets a, a parking ticket and has his car towed, his, his in-laws car towed at the beginning of the movie. You could arguably just roll those two into one character. You didn't need to have two different people other than just that kind of half-assed reveal at the end of like, hey, it's my brother. And it's this really cheesy kind of unnecessary thing, but... Yeah, it's... it's, it's a, yeah, it feels like a first draft that you probably write out in like a second or third draft. Yeah, but they're like um, as they're brothers, and they're so close in terms of who they are as characters. Like, I, I guess I because I guess because people. Carmine is like the the head of it, he wouldn't be out giving tickets. I guess that's the logic. I get. Yeah. Then get rid of that anyway. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be crappy if I keep going for because <laughs> I don't for no reason. The other, the other, I think the other really um, strong points you got on the the cast are uh, you've on the especially on the good guy side. You've got John Amos. Um, who uh, I always forget, like him as an action star, but like he's, I really, really like John Amos. He in this. is fantastic. I, and, I question you calling him a good guy, but he is fantastic in this. Well, he, he is until the, you know, spoiler alert, until, until the third, he slits someone's throat. Well, he, yeah, yeah, he slits, slits a guy's throat. <laughs> and then uh, on the on the bad guy side, you've got a pretty good villain uh, in Bill Sadler, uh, who does an excellent, excellent nude karate scene at the beginning of this movie for. Apparently no oh, reason, but yeah. he did. My favorite part of trivia about that was apparently he did ask them, and I don't blame him. Look, I am not in shape. He asked them to push that scene, that filming of that yes. scene, to the back and of the movie. So Rennie, so and Rennie Harlan confirmed that of like when he when he talked to him about it, he was like, "Well, Bill, what if you do it nude?" <laughs> and he was like, 
Well, then we're pushing it to the end of the movie because I am getting it, and they 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 get they hired him a trainer and stuff, and it's like, yeah, that's would be my response. That's a smart man. I would do the same thing. I am yeah. not even close to. And I, I would say he looks fucking fantastic. He does. He does. Um, but then you've got kind of a a, a murderer's row of of those guys in terms of the bad guys that are in the background. Uh, you got a guy named Don Harvey who who plays Garber, who's one of the bad guys, who who is also a cop in uh, Untouchables and a bunch of other stuff. A very young John Leguizamo, and then uh, there's a face off of sorts between Barnes and McLean with Robert Patrick, who plays one of the bad guys. Oh, and uh, he's just like a year away from you're away from T1000. So yeah, he's about to yeah. blow up. But uh, but yeah, so it's it's got a really really fun cast around it. Um, John Amos does a great job, kind of playing playing the, the the sort of foil to uh colonel stewart who's bill sadler's character up until they they do the reveal that they're actually uh they're in bed together and uh they're they're part of the same the whole scheme to basically hold hold the airport ransom and then you've got bonnie bedelia playing high mclean again uh and she's bringing back yeah, her, kind of her great. same energy from yeah. from the first one where she's very assertive it's kind of a pr- progressive uh approach with with her being a sort of corporate woman of the 80s and 90s and then you've got uh, the kind of the yeah. the the what do you call? It? I'm, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say. Uh, the, I, I'm sure he's a fine person, but he p- sort of plays the the uh, the yeah, everyone knows constant prick William Atherton playing uh, Dick Thornburg, yeah. again reprising his Which, role from the first movie as the the journalist who Holly McLean punches out at the end of at the end of part one. In which they're both fantastic, and I I love. There's a, f- a few touches I love, but I'm really impressed with how they brought back this cast that so so one i'll say i love that they make that um thornburg william atherton has a restraining order out against holly mclean bonnie bedelia it's like such a perfect thing for his character <laughs> and but i love how, so they're brought back and like bringing back thornburg it feels like so that he's on the same flight as um John McClane's wife, Holly Bonnie Bedelia's character, which isn't crazy. And, like that's plausible. And, but what in a lot of times when you do that in a sequel, it'd be, you'd roll your eyes at it. Like really like they're on the same flight, but what this movie does so well, it makes it really inconvenient for the characters. So it's introduced with like William Atherton being like, I can't be like within 50 feet of her or like 50 yards. Like, you're violating the law. And like, it's, it's brought in with tension. It's not like this is helping the characters, but all the characters hate it. And I think that's such an awesome way to bring back, to return characters because for the audience, you don't really call bullshit when the characters find it inconvenient. You don't, it's not like, Oh, this solved the problem in the plot. And like, it's a. It'd be like if so. It'd be like if uh, the Marvin the janitor was Reginald Bell Johnson, and was somehow there to like solve a problem for Bruce McLean. Um, it's that with the it, there's a negative for the characters, but a positive for the audience. And so you're willing to go along with it. And I, I just that really hit me as as impressive writing on that one. I agree. I, I I like it overall because I, I think again the the dialogue is 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 well paced and we'll talk about it here in a second. You know, D'Souza probably takes some shortcuts or the, the movie takes some shortcuts uh, on a plot on a couple of plot points to help 
keep the, the pacing and, and move it along pretty quickly. The movie never is really that slow other than probably the first 10 or 15 minutes. And then it's pretty much once the first uh, shootout happens, McLean catches um, the first handful of guys in the, in the, in what I would, I would call one of the most dangerous uh, baggage areas of an airport I've ever seen um, <laughs> where there's steam and there's flashing lights and there's like dangerous looking shit hanging off the walls. And it looks like uh, something out of like one of the, the dream sequences in the first nightmare on Elm street series. Uh, and they have a shootout in, in there. Oh, and, interesting. And it's Rennie Harlan. Um, and it's Rennie yeah. Harlan. So yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> Rennie Harlan just like took a set from, from Nightmare on Elm Street 4. It's like, ah, fuck it. We're just going to use this. Uh, and so they turn into a baggage claim. But, but you know, one, once the action starts, it, it's a, it really moves. And I think that's a, that's a credit to the movie is it doesn't slow you down too much other than maybe the scenes where McLean keeps kind of returning back to, to Marvin the janitor, where the hell that guy's yeah exposition and some guys maybe like 20 minutes in the second act where it's a tiny bit repetitive of like yeah, yeah we've been here a little bit before yeah definitely and um but I, I love what you're saying of how it moves and some of the shortcuts to Suze has taken in writing it so McLean kills one of the guys in the baggage area gets his fingerprints Cochran, his own, Colonel Cochran to, uh, yeah, <laughs> faxes them to Reginald Vil Johnson, Al Powell, um, and Al Powell runs like a fingerprint test that pulls up secret like, That's, black yes. ops military guys within five minutes, and like, yeah, there's no way that's possible. But also, there's no fucking possible. way <laughs> like, the movie can happen if you don't do that. And like, and it's also that's. But why it's so good, like the and it's probably Rennie Harlan as well, deserves credit. They're just moving it everything along at a at a pace where you don't question it. If you stop and think about it, yeah, of course you question it, and you're like, well, that's not possible. But it's and I love that it's early on in the movie that to me it communicates to the audience, like you know, come with us, get on board with this. This is what this movie is. We're gonna take some shortcuts. That we all know, yeah, that's not quite how this would work. But it's going to be way more fun if you let us entertain you. Uh, and I, I think the pacing of it is great with that. And because they're moving everything at that pace, at least I didn't mind that they're taking those shortcuts because they're pacing it where that's the pace of the story. No, I, it's fair. I mean, I, I don't. I don't think it's anywhere the plot really falls away too bad, or you know, the shortcuts aren't aren't too glaring. There are some scenes, uh, and actually, I'll you know I'll jump into it in terms of kind of one of my favorite scenes was uh, uh, so, and you've touched on it. You know, the the backstory again here is um, Colonel Stewart's team. Uh, the the they're basically mercenaries. They're former special forces soldiers that are mercenaries. They've been hired by uh, this overthrown despot running Valverde, who's been um, uh, taken taken into custody by U.S. military and it's being flown and being extradited back to the United States. Um, this was very heavily based on uh, the Oliver North uh, Iran Contra affair issues in the 1980s, as well as the uh, uh, Manuel Noriega capture from Panama. I think in late 1989. Uh, so it's based pretty heavily on sort of recent events, at least recent to this this movie. And um, uh, part of, part of what I think. Uh, they're 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 kind of trying to do is 
uh, or part 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 of I, I completely lost my train of thought and I, I just recaptured it. So I'm gonna <laughs> just go right back into it. Um, part nice. of part of what my favorite kind of scene is is at the end and the start of the third act. They they there's a large shootout after McLean and Barnes find uh, find the secret hideout in this abandoned church. Oh, oh, not abandoned oh. church. They they murder a guy in a church and then they take it over. But Barnes <laughs> and uh, Barnes and McLean find this church and they find uh, Colonel Stewart's hideout and they attack it and, and McLean attacks it. Um, not before stabbing a guy in the eye with an icicle and snapping it off. Um, and after it's all Which over, been, when you were, you were like 13, 14 years old was the highlight of the movie. Oh yeah. You know what? It's still, it. I'm 39 still highlight. It's still, <laughs> it's still one of those things where I was, yeah, thinking I was about excited it for it. I was like, Do I you, was think it would, you think it would melt before anybody got there? And they're like trying to figure out like what the hell happened to this guy or like, <laughs> Well, that's the famous thing of like a bullet made of ice is like the perfect crime or something like, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, we can talk about the movie Shooter later because that was a big plot point of the movie Shooter. <laughs> was it? Oh, but uh, okay. but one, of my, one of my favorite things that's also just completely unbelievable about this movie was uh, so McLean, McLean realizes uh, when he's taking a shot at one of Colonel Stewart's guys on, on a snowmobile chase that after he's apparently oh, missed God. an entire magazine, yeah. he, he's shot blanks. And so what does he do to prove his point? He walks into the middle of the <laughs> airport police station. Dennis Franz, uh, um, Carmine, the, the head of police, refuses to believe him. What does he do? He fucking opens fire with a submachine gun in a room full of cops to somebody and nobody shoots him. I was like, that's one of my favorite parts of this movie because it, as an adult now, I'm like, that's that's the most unbelievable part. You're going to tell me that he's in a room full of people with guns, he unloads him a submachine gun and nobody responds to that to do anything to him. Even as a kid, like that always bumped me of like, it took me out of the movie a tiny bit. Cause you're right. Like those cops would fucking unload on him. Yeah. Like, I would. Like, if I had a gun, it's a room of like 20 cops and they all, they all draw their guns and are pointing at him and somehow don't shoot. Like, yeah. And, and and that that's like a shortcut in here that doesn't doesn't work. It's dramatic. It's cool. I get what they're going for. I just can't buy it. It needed to be like McLean and Franz alone in his office for that to work. And yeah, the, like yeah, it's more dramatic in the crowd and everything as they but it always bumps me and takes me out of the movie of like all right, I I I just you're pushing that a little too far. Um well, so I think we both agree. Like, we, you know, the ice pick, our icicle thing was pretty cool. What, what is your one of your favorite scenes in this? So, I fucking love and it. If someone wants to say like they don't fully buy it, that it bumps them as that's not how this stuff would work. I, I fully get it, but I love the scene. And there's other things I want to talk about about the scene. But there's the scene where they crash the plane. Uh, <laughs> where your, your your Star Trek guy Colmini? Yeah. Uh, oh god, it breaks my heart. It breaks love. my heart. Chief O'Brien, you know, you, you just fucking Rennie Harlan killing Chief O'Brien. I just, I don't know if I'll ever forgive him. That's probably probably oh, my, my complicated relationship with Rennie Harlan probably starts right there. But my favorite, uh, actually, you know what? I'm gonna tie this all together. Um, I promise. My favorite, um. Uh, Cole Meany role was the the hard ass he played in in Con Air. 
Okay, I was hoping that's where you're going. Uh, which I, I think that's like it's my favorite role. But I was gonna t- where I was gonna really go with this, and I I don't I don't know what date we're gonna release this on, but I think today or like yesterday was like the opening for for training camp for the NFL. And holy shit, did you see Aaron Rodgers roll up to? Uh, Packers, the Packers stadium, uh, dressed oh, like Nick Cage um, and Nick Cage from yeah. Con Air. Like, Holy I, shit! I was like, I actually think it's Nick Cage, Nick Cage looked like he was in better shape than than Rogers. <laughs> but yeah. Like, yeah, I was like, man, that was a but fucking it, choice. Mean, there's no doubt he was intentionally doing Nick Cage and Conair. Oh, like, I love it. Great. I mean, it like, was spot fucking on. If he hey, good that, for him. That's the yeah, stupid no. shit I would do if I was a millionaire quarterback. Yeah. Um, but anyway, okay. so this plane crash scene. So the terrorists have taken control. They've hacked into the computer systems. And, you know, this would definitely not be possible. But they're talking to one of the planes and they're telling them, hey, we're going to like walk you through. You're good to land. But what they do, they raise sea level basically on the computer instruments so this plane's coming in through this snowstorm it's cloudy they can't see the ground and they've changed it and raised it like 200 feet where they think they have an extra 200 feet to land so they break through the clouds and like oh fuck the ground's right there and they crash and like it kills like a couple hundred people but i love so much about it and like i yeah you could fully say like it's unrealistic that wouldn't have but it so raises the stakes of the movie where now you buy these guys will fucking do anything. They'll kill anybody. Like anything is on the table for these guys. It's like they are even in so many movies. I feel like the you're iffy about the bad guy. If like, or like, you know, he shoots one guy's like, Oh, these fuckers, like they're not joking around. No, it's good. I mean, it sets the stakes. It actually like lets you know that there's actually real, real stakes for, for, you know, the, to your point, the, the sort of implication of all that is that Holly, Holly McLean's plane, which is still circling over Dulles, is going to be at risk for either the same thing happening or just running out of fuel yeah. before. It, it helps. That, that's your, that's your ticking clock. It, yeah, it exactly. explains McLean of like, I got to do this. Like, they could do this at any time, kill my wife. And, but I love Fox. So the studio fought really hard. They didn't want to do that. They're like, if we kill like two, three hundred innocent people, like the audience is just going to be out on this movie and be like, no, I don't want to fucking see this. Like, this is horrible. And D'Souza and Harlan like fought with them like, no, no, no. Like, we need this to establish the villain. And so the compromise was they filmed a UPS plane crashing that. So it just had like the pilot and co-pilot and a shitload of packages. And they filmed that crashing as well. And then they tested it with the audience and the audience was okay with the one where like the, and I, I look, where you hear people screaming on a radio, gonna, we're going to die. Yeah, I'm going to, and I guess there's things they like cut from that. They had a little more graphic stuff, but I also think, and so it was definitely a sex scene on they, the plane before they crashed. Yeah. I don't want to get into too deep into this idea. I think it was smart to make it not an American flight. <laughs> For playing to American audiences. And that is horrible. I fully agree. But I also think that can matter, particularly in like 1990, that I think it plays different if it's an American Airlines flight crashing, but it was like a British Airways flight. And I think that gives for an American audience just enough removed from it to 
be like, oh, fuck, these guys are evil and not internalize like I've flown American Airlines. Like my mom's flown American Airlines. Yeah, it's not it's not close enough, quite close enough to scare you, like truly scare you. But it, it does. It, it does do a I, good job. I was, it should be. It should be. We yeah. all should respond to that as people like this is horrific. But, you know, we're people and like we respond to fucked up shit in different ways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I love that scene of how it establishes. And it's just a really cool, dramatic scene of like the people in the flight tower panicking and like, oh, like we can't do anything. And like, and it explains so much of what they do after that as well. And their response of why they're all like panicked and scrambling and the military shows up and they're just relieved of like, yeah, go get them. Like, we don't know what to do because like shit's gotten really serious here. Well, and that's a good point. Um, that, and that, that, that severity right before they, they crash the planes, the sort of leading, the point leading up to it that that uh and, and what's what's going on in the movie is I, I, as we've touched on uh the terrorists have taken over the control tower at dulles and so the the control tower can't communicate with with the planes and so there's this risk now that they're going to have all uh they're not going to be able to land the planes or warn them that they need to reroute to to another airport and so Barnes, who again is being kind of a crafty engineer, uh, they're not really they never really reveal like what exactly his his role in it is, but he's sort of like uh, Trudeau, yeah. uh, Fred Thompson's number two. They go to the Annex Skywalk yeah. and they say yeah. it nine thousand fucking times. The <laughs> yeah, Annex Skywalk. It's really important, <laughs> and that's Annex why you Skywalk. like you know it, the Annex Skywalk. Like if you asked me, Which I, in, I think that was I think that was a character in the last Star Wars movie. It was. It was my favorite. Um, my favorite uh, uh, Christian Annex Hayden Skywalk. or Hayden Christensen uh, role. <laughs> but they they, uh, they that leads me to like another really good scene. I think it's probably one of your favorites too, and and. and this is oh, what this movie yeah. does really well too is again you know the, yeah, the, the airplane crash but the big action set pieces and so you have uh carmine uh the police chief's uh um swat team basically escort uh barnes to this uh sky annex skywalk is skywalk in whatever the hell it is the annex uh, skywalk annex skywalk from the new terminal <laughs> i know so it's the new terminal where they have all the same everything's online they need it's we perfect. can talk to them from there i know this is like uh the scene in jurassic park where they're like yeah we're gonna go turn the power back on all of a sudden everything's just gonna work again um it's kind of that but uh barnes barnes is escorted by this police outfit and there's uh, i love this on christmas eve the police are not suspicious of nine ripped guys uh painting walls so, in, in right. this this brand new so annex it's not it's not Christmas Eve. Is it not? I always thought it was Christmas Eve as well for years. And this is the first time I did. it's the week of Christmas. Oh, okay. Which actually is actually kind of important because it is seen in the opening where McLean calls his wife and he's like he's like, Hey, hey like, oh, instead of like going to your parents, because um, he's been stuck with them for like an extra day or two before she came in town. It's like, uh, what if we leave the kids with your parents? You and I go get a hotel, some champagne, room service. What if we uh, bang for three days? And it, yeah, and it, and, but it's pretty, it's kind of important that it's not Christmas Eve, that like McLean's not saying, what if we just abandon the kids on Christmas Eve and Christmas? I mean, they've kind of established in the first movie that both parents are very selfish people, yeah. so it really wouldn't put it past. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> but I, I guess it's supposed to be the week of Christmas, but they don't, I did 
I think is a flaw of the movie. I don't think they communicate that well. And because I think it should have been Christmas Eve because the first the one was first, Christmas Eve. The first one's Christmas Eve. You assume this one is as well. And, and so they, I think set, it, they set it up because it's the same music at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you've got Let It Snow. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I thought it was like, I thought it was, I never realized that. So I guess my, my bad. And I wonder if it's the movie they kind of have in their cake and eating it too of like, they recognize we want it to be Christmas Eve. But like we, there's enough happening where it can't quite be Christmas Eve because it wouldn't be this busy travel day necessarily. Like, yeah, and they're just trying to thread the needle of like, uh, it feels like Christmas Eve. Uh, fair. Well, despite it not being Christmas Eve, uh, I still like this scene because it's got a great no, shot. It's a fucking amazing scene. I do think it's funny that the cops are that stupid in this scene. There's a SWAT team's that stupid. They're like not suspicious of the week <laughs> of Christmas at like eight or nine o'clock at night. There's some guy, what, there's a bunch of guys what paint, I li- painting in this un, unsupervised area of the airport where they know there's a terrorist attack. And they're just like, what Whoa. I love is McLean looks at the blueprints and he's like, that's a choke point. It's an ambush, and he knows that <laughs> from looking at the blueprint. And and but these SWAT guys go in and just like mindlessly go on the people mover a little like walkway. Oh, my favorite! Uh, I did look at online. There's a lot of people who are being very critical of the SWAT team not using the proper <laughs> tactics of how they would clear clear that. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like it's a, a fucking movie. Who fucking cares? I, I agree with them, and I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that leads to uh, to your point. McLean is hanging out with his buddy Marvin somewhere under the airport, <laughs> somewhere under the tarmac. I don't know why, but he 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 finds his way through, and that leads to a a a, a almost titular line of of uh, how could the same shit happen to the same guy twice? Mm. And that's what that's <laughs> McLean's line before I think he climbs into the air ducts and starts shimming through to the new NX Skywalk, where he he proceeds to. Um, every every SWAT guy is wiped out, uh, pretty handily. Barnes gets injured, and then you have um, uh, McLean bust through the ceiling through an air vent, drop onto uh, uh, Robert Patrick after he shot him like nine times, and then McLean just like lights up uh, eight more terrorists or something like that, <laughs> and it takes them all out. But I remember as a kid watching that over and over. That was such a cool scene. I forgot to send you my notes on this. Um, I was really proud of my note um, early earlier in the movie where I said it. it it's really unfair the terrorists have a T one thousand, but that is true. But he never, but, never does. But John McClane puts it down pretty easy. He does. I I think um, I think maybe that means that John McClane is a T eight hundred. Um, I'm open to expanding the Terminator universe in that in that by, way. <laughs> by the transitive properties of, of mathematics, I believe that John McClane so is now a T-800. I fucking love that end sequence there. And I get some questions of, I feel like maybe the guy could have shot him or done something different, but McClane is trapped under some scaffolding and his gun's been knocked away and it's landed on like the, not it's not an escalator, but it's like the flat escalator. <laughs> it's like a treadmill that like... It, it's, it's a, a walking airport. like a walking escalator yeah, I think, yes thank you yeah whatever the or, hell or moving calling. sidewalk moving sidewalks yeah and his gun is like sitting on that and this bad guy is coming and the bad guy is like oh that is like got a lot of swagger to him of you know i see you're trapped under a bunch of scaffolding i'm gonna like swagger down there 
and like beat the shit out of you. Oh, I'm pretty sure that guy had a ponytail, and I feel like and all the plane energy, like grabs the pipe and starts the walking. Si- <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the plane starts walking silent, and it's a nice, awesome tension scene of like, is the gun going to get to him in time before the terrorist does to kill him? Uh, it's a nice, cl- a nice. I don't know, denouement to that scene. It is I, again. That, that's a, that's another high point to me for for McLean as a character and where it sets him apart and, and, and Willis's choices sets them apart from other action movies. Is you actually feel like there's a like, there's like a strong chance that the McLean's you know he's going to survive it because you're not watching a diehard movie to watch him die. But um, despite the name, but you know it does feel like okay <laughs> there there's some stakes of like he's vulnerable. And he needs his gun. He's like, he's probably not going to defend himself too long against a, a special forces guy in, in hand-to-hand combat. Later on, he, he, he later on he doesn't. But I like that about it is you feel like there are stakes in the action scenes. Whereas I think about like Arnold or Sly movies, they're just really. It's almost yeah, like that you yeah. could shoot them point blank and it's going to bounce off of them. And they're almost like the Superman complex. Whereas here, <laughs> you, you've got a character who's got some some vulnerability the, to him that, that that helps to lend to that those action sequences so that's funny Rennie harlan uh talked a lot about he seems to spend a lot of time thinking about how in an action movie to knock a gun away from a character force him to improvise or something and then later get the gun back um and, and credit to him because that but like when i heard him talk about that it kind of like suddenly stood out to me how many times that happens in the movie <laughs> to uh, McLean and to the terrorists. And I'd be curious now to go back and start watching some of his other movies of how often <laughs> that exact thing happens. Cause it seemed like a concept he was very, very obsessed with of this is dramatic and <laughs> how you do an action movie. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think, and we haven't really talked about it too much, but you know, Rennie Harlan, his career, I think this was a big launch pad for him professionally. Uh, and he did, I, I like a lot of the stuff he did in the nineties. It's kind of a shame that he yeah. didn't get uh, a better run. Uh, kind of in the late nineties, you see it really taper off, but he does this after he does a, a uh, nightmare on Elm street four. And then he goes on, I think his next movie was cliffhanger, which I would argue is that sounds really right. good. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah I, I love cliffhanger. Um, it, it sort of takes a weird left turn going into uh, he does. I think it, I, I need to look more about it, but he does uh, Cutthroat Island um, with I think it was his then wife um, Gina Davis that bombs, and then he does. But then he comes back and, and does. Uh, oh God, what was the second? Long movie? kiss goodnight. Long kiss goodnight, which I actually like a lot. I think that's a, a yeah. Really oh that, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, but then he kind of falls into obscurity again, where like in Biden, Letty goes into Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea is bad. Uh, well, driven. Dri- driven is. I, I know you're. I know you're a huge fan of. I like F one. I like Sly Stallone. Those two things together are equal hot garbage. That's what. <laughs> okay, so, driven is. So talking about Rennie Harlan, I, I've probably unfairly judged him, and it's possibly because of this late '90s run we're talking about, where you know when I'm. I, I know Long Kiss Goodnight. I loved Long Kiss Goodnight when it came out, but then I'm getting into like 16 years old and Deep Blue Sea is coming out. And then you're looking at what comes after that and just not quite the level of what came before. So a couple, try to introduce some new segments. 
on here. One idea was, and I know where I'm going with this. And I'm curious, <laughs> Andrew, where you're going. But it's related to what we're talking about. So if you could, so this budget for this was $70 million. So this is kind of an odd one to do this with because they definitely spent the money. And I think you can see it on the screen. And I was pretty impressed watching the making of stuff with Rennie Harlan of what they were doing and what they were, you know, they were ambitious. Uh, but you get to increase the budget 10% for this movie. Where are you spending the money? What are you doing with it? Oh man, that's you go first. Okay. I, I, I got to think about it. Cause I, I, I honestly don't have a good answer, but you, yeah, you okay. go first. Well, that's perfect. Cause I have the right answer. Um... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's hear it. Then. So, I appreciate Hold on. Wait on. Oh, oh, oh. Hold on. Are you got you there? We're, we, it was getting uh, staticky, so I want I want to make sure you Yeah, I'm getting point. I'm getting my connections unstable. Okay. Is it okay? You're good. Better? Go for it. We're Go doing okay. It. Do it. Okay. I appreciate but the internet does not want me to give this Rennie Harlan point. Um so I enjoy what Rennie Harlan is doing here. And I think He's doing some really good things within scenes of moving the camera, communicating things about characters with angles and movement. But so I had a whole thing I was going to go on here about like me in film school, but I think that's going to take too long and go too far. <laughs> <laughs> Rennie Harlan is not John McTiernan. So with my $7 million, I'm just saying, John McTiernan, here's $7 million. Come back and do Die Hard 2. And you can either let someone else do Hunt for Red October. You can talk the studio into putting it off six months. But come back and do Die Hard 2. Because McTiernan is just one level up from Rennie Harlan. Rennie Harlan is composing images. And that image looks really good. And it works in the scene of the character, but McTernan is composing one image into another image, motivated by plot and character. And I think we talk about like Predator, it's like it's incredible the way he can follow one character and follow them through the jungle, and it lands on another beautifully composed image of like two characters now talking. And that to me is like the difference between McTiernan and Tarlin and in Harlan. So I, I, I would want to bring McTiernan back. Yeah, I, I, I hear. I think I don't know. I, 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 I would go the other way with that. Um, not on the budget piece, but just I, I think I don't know if you have a markedly different movie with McTiernan. I don't know if that changes the script or or, or enough to to sort of. I don't know if you get $7 million of value out of it, but that that's just, I guess that's just me. I, I'm being, I'm being snotty about it. I no, think it's an interesting business question though. Of Would McTiernan have, uh, this did like 119 million or 121. I think it's D'Souza's biggest grossing picture. I think so. Him, it's a standalone. Yeah. yeah. Would, would McTiernan, I, that's an interesting question of if you give McTiernan $7 million, could this have would that have would this have earned 
enough to justify that enough more. And I, I don't have an answer to that. I have no clue, but it's an interesting question. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. Um, you know, Hunt for Red October, it's a very different um, movie, but I'm curious. That's the same year. That did 200 million. So that, that was a, a bigger movie and maybe it's just the nature of what it was at the time, but that was a $200 million movie on $30 million budget. So it's that financially, that's a, a hell of a big, big win for, for uh, McTiernan. But yeah, you yeah, know, I, I, I think I like McTiernan a lot. Um, you know, as long as he's not tapping my phone, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> but I think, I think if I was to put 7 million more, I would probably it's a hard one because they well, spent it, the it, money. It is. The, like, I think. They, I, think yeah. I think the effects are there. And I, I think they, they spent. A, I think they spent it well too. So they, it's not. They like, did. I mean, like yeah. I, I, like I said, I told you. I, I think the the, the money is on the screen. I'd almost. I kind of touched on this a little bit. I wish they put a bit more money into talent uh, on this. Uh, I like the supporting cast a lot. I wish you would had. And maybe this is a, a product of, of of the script and the writing, but uh, I wish you'd had more of this sort of buddy aspect you get in Die Hard 3. Um, like Barnes and, and McLean pairing off is a really good fit. Or, oh, and or you get it, you're right. You get it more in Die Hard 1, too. That you, you, you do. You get little, more of a... few more scenes yeah. with Powell and McLean kind of talking and bonding a it bit. Builds, and McLean's it builds a little more a lone wolf here. Yeah. And, 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 and Mar- Marvin is just not the guy. No, Marvin's like a like a guy who got hit in the head with a like a like a claw hammer or something like that at some point and they're like well let's just tuck him under the the uh the runway and he can live there so there's no osha claims and it's like okay great um, no I, I like the idea of you take um art evans and marvin combine them into a single character and that's the buddy person. that and I, I that's what i didn't like about part of the ending mm. was like they have marv come back or marvin come back and he's the guy yeah he up. didn't earn he didn't earn that no i didn't earn it so i'm like why don't you bring back like Trudeau, um, you know, uh, Fred Thompson's character or or Art Evans um, character Barnes. I feel like those are guys that actually like you see a connection or even sort of a if, uh, and it, it just works. Carmine, the cop, like even if he is suddenly like, all right, you've won me over, McLean, and does something like at he least that I mean, they he, had more interaction. They did. And they kind of do that with like a throwaway of like, right. hey, they him a little, no, like, hey, we're going to It's like, well, motherfucker, you already towed his car. So like, what does that matter? that's a fair point like that doesn't do any good i I thought it was a nice touch it wasn't his car it was his in-laws car that's true that's true it it explains why you're like doubly fucked of having done that which i I thought that was a nice little touch it was it was but i I think i think um if i were to spend extra money i'd probably put a little bit more into to having having some of the, the, the the stronger cast members on on set um that's that's probably not a great answer, but I agree with you. Otherwise, that that a it's lot a of the money one. was on, it's on the screen, that. and I feel like I don't feel like they wasted any of the money in terms of what you see. Like the set pieces feel big; they feel they feel lived in. Uh, a lot of the plane effects feel pretty good. I, you know, a lot of good work with miniatures, especially the, the explosion at the end where they blow up uh, the seven forty seven that the the special forces yeah, teams are escaping in. It all it all looks really, really good. Cool. So yeah. I, I think I, I'm. I'm I'm gonna say cast. I'd put a little bit more money to the cast and not Bruce okay. Willis. And and that's already a strength of the movie, but yeah, it doesn't hurt to um give him more screen know, time. Up. So so one more topic we were talking about kicking around. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> um 
And, I'm excited. Uh, I, I think just you take the seven million and just give it to this guy, and then him, let him do whatever he wants in the movie. But Andrew, you have to add Carl Weathers to this movie, and you can do that as an existing character, a new character, whatever, whatever you think you need to do to get him in this movie. That is a great question. Uh, so, so I, if I had to put Carl Weathers in this, I actually would put him in the Fred Thompson role. I think um, <laughs> it's hard because you could put him in the um, the only other roles I would see him is, is the villains. Uh, I feel like if you put him opposite of Bruce Willis or in, in, a, in a fight or even as his ally, Carl Weathers is still at this point <laughs> too jacked. And and still like too fit, and I, I I'd have a hard time believing like if you put him in the Barnes role, for example, and he's like the sidekick for McLean. When they go to fight, or they 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 they, they uncover the uh, the the church that's overrun with terrorists, I wouldn't I would more believe that Carl Weathers would go over there and beat the shit out of all those terrorists before I would believe <laughs> that John McLean would. So I think like you can't you can't from a physicality standpoint, I think you couldn't you don't want to put him in a role that's gonna like. He like Bruce Willis is going to be overshadowed physically by Carl Weathers. Yeah. So I'd have to say my vote is is this sort of quiet, um, pensive and but authoritative um, uh, Trudeau role that runs the runs the airport. How about you? I I thought about the Trudeau the Trudeau role. I was a little nervous. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was a little nervous. Uh, Weathers would overpower it with his charisma that it would bring too much attention to that role and kind of, it'd be interesting to see. I thought, but he'd really have to play low key and really go down, um, which he, I, he could definitely do. I don't know if that's what he would want to do in 1990, but yeah, fair. Uh, it, it'd be an entirely different movie. Um, you cast him as Espinosa and have them go head to head. Which get yeah, that that's the reaction you'd get. That's what the movie would be. It'd be that would be so much hilarious. more fun though, if you think yeah, about it. Yeah, it'd like, be a blast. Like uh, uh Carl Weathers with no no discernible just Latin American balls out toe to toe as, like, as yeah. the, the dictator of, of Valverde. I I'm um, I'm good for that actually. That sounds pretty. Oh, good. The, so the other idea I had was entirely new role, and you make it a buddy comedy, and Carl Weathers is playing a pilot who is trying to take off and refuel these planes that are all circling. That John McClane is talking to on the radio from time to time, and it, it just like completely changes it. But I want to give like Carl Weathers like his own hero role. That's a good idea, and that's that's one thing about this movie. It feels like it is about two McClane steps. needs a buddy. He needs a buddy, but this he also feels it. like this is about one step removed from being a 1970s sort of disaster movie oh, with, yeah. with, with an action plot rolled in. And they're almost there with most of the stuff with the, you know, the airport being kind of a run. I mean, the movie really only has one big set piece, and it's basically in the terminal – well, th- right, three. Sorry, the church where the terrorists reside. And for, until, <laughs> I did until the, the same thing. Act. Thinking about set pieces, I was like, "Oh wait, that one. Oh, that one. Yeah." So yeah, but, it, but it's yeah. three. It's, it's it's like the kind of like the terminal, or I'm sorry, the, the annex Skywalk, um, the runway itself, <laughs> and then you have the the shootout that happens at the the church. But 
besides that, I mean, I would argue you could probably actually make this movie 20 or 30 minutes longer if that's where you want to spend the budget. And you could probably make this into more of a disaster movie where you build out some of the characters they do show on the airplane, like the pilots, and that you, you can kind of well, you can engineer more relationships to make make there be a little bit more stakes. I perhaps. guess it's the transition of where we're at. Like the seventies movies were ensembles, and this is the bone action hero movie. Um, and a, a kind of fusion between those two might be a slightly better better movie that's fair because um, that's that's fair yeah I, I would love to have mclean have just like in the first one and the third one a friend a buddy like someone who's going along with him on this ride a little bit more oh yeah i mean You're right it, that's probably that's probably what holds us back from people there's no relationship mclean establishes and builds over the course of the movie and maybe that's what you know that's probably like a, i'm sure that's intentional because they kind of had that success but i do think what we, we lose is i really like the dynamic between and there's like this sort of there's this sort of subplot of redemption in the first one for for al powell because he he draws his gun and kills carl the terrorist at the very end and i think that's kind of a fun they build up that they kind of build up that that relationship through radio and it's sort of this moment where at the end when they see each other it's this big moment where it's sort of this mutual respect yes. and appreciation yeah. and almost like this instant love for each other as friends. And they kind of don't have that here. It's really just and it, it, not knocking it, but you know, Holly, it's just Holly and, and uh, John McClane being reunited. It's fine, but it, you know, that has less impact to me. than I think the kind of the, the, the camaraderie that comes from the, the Al Powell, John McClane um, relationship in part one. So I do think maybe if you added this, if you built this movie out a little bit more, maybe a little bit more time to it, it's probably too long to your point for a nineties action movie. It's probably too long for a Winnie Harlan type movie, but I do think that's where um, maybe this is lacking from the first one is it's missing some of the heart that, that you get in the first one. Yeah. And that, that's probably a symptom of, it was a bit of a rush production. Mm-hmm. Like they were off the heels of, and it's um, interesting. They're, they're still in this mode of the, the success of one. They're really trying to push to get, another one made it's interesting how many years are then in between the the third one um yeah that's true. This, i think I mean, bruce willis's career i mean again we, you, you kind of are just catching him before he goes probably i don't want to say he went batshit crazy but you are catching him before the he got too big he did get too big and it's inevitably what happens to anyone who gets that famous that he got planet hollywood big you in, in between this and die hard three yeah <laughs> no one's gonna tell you no so any crazy idea you have you can just do and that's you know you make hudson hawk you make hudson hawk or you, you release striking a, distance. an album or, or oh or yeah or uh what is it bruno i'm gonna yeah, do, I, i'm getting confused with like a peter frampton <laughs> album i was gonna say bruno comes alive <laughs> like, i'm pretty sure that's not the name of the album so but... if, if there was bruno comes alive and it's bruce willis just doing the frampton comes alive album <laughs> I, I, I had listen <laughs> i'd check it I, out i bet it would have been you think it would have caught it would have cracked the top 25 in 1990 <laughs> like you think it would have done it or i don't know I'm trying to think what music was was in like 1990. Like if you did it as a tie-in, and it was like uh, partially in Die Hard 2, <laughs> I would be okay. What if that was just the soundtrack for Die Hard 2? Was Bruce Bruce Willis playing the harmonica? 
Would that you make know, the movie better? Someday. Or I guarantee <laughs> so, you in 1990, if you wanted to spend $7 million more on this movie, <laughs> that was where you could put that. All right, Bruce, we're going to do a whole album. We're going to put you in the studio for a week. You're going to get paid. I think he could have saved money. I think he could have not paid Bruce Willis <laughs> and let him do the soundtrack to the movie. Uh, yeah. I mean, I will say, we. Oh God, I, uh, I'm trying to think of, if you go back and watch Hard Target, a lot of that soundtrack, I don't know why I know this, it sounds like it's like harmonica, at least that's how I remember it. Maybe Bruce Willis on like a under like a pseudonym did the hard hard target soundtrack and like he was trying uh, to break it to another so. another I would be the, media. If that like broke on the internet tomorrow, that would make me extremely happy. <laughs> I'd listen to it. Um I will say that uh, I I'm completely digressing, but uh the Michael Kamen score, it's it's pretty much a lift straight from the first movie but that's okay i think you know they're so close together they're like two years apart so um ready really said it also score. was this um a, a finnish composer that he introduced came into that he wanted to use that took a bit from that as well but i don't I mean i'm not i'll be honest i couldn't really tell speak difference. to that <laughs> i couldn't tell difference yeah. everything i saw online was I, at least yeah it was solid yeah, yeah it was solid but yeah and i think I, it kind of makes me want to go back and watch um part three again to see how they handle the score, but I, I remember it. I remember there the, being a lot of or, 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 more uh, classical stuff. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the ants go marching, marching down. Yep. Uh, in the scenes where uh, Simon, lot, but yeah, Simon Gruber's, uh, uh, it's kind of going into, it's like piloting into the third act. I, but yeah, um, I really like the score on this. I think it was, I, I was perfectly happy for them just to recycle for the most part what it felt like was the score from part one, just because it works. Kind of yeah, the last fashion of I'll say it's good because watching some of like deleted scenes and stuff where like you know they those aren't quite always fully polished and maybe missing the music and like oh man it's like yeah the score was important to this movie like it really that's of course it is but which is funny it, it doesn't feel dated here but then I go back and watch like License to Kill which I don't I can't remember if Michael Kamen did it or if it's just a direct rip off of Michael Kamen <laughs> uh, but it sounds a lot like Die Hard I can and, see and, either. <laughs> And I guess uh, rip buff. <laughs> that it feels dated there, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't doesn't hit as dated here. So, why well, I, no, I had no, I, had, I had one more question for you is, uh, in a very quick scene, they show the Simpsons uh, on the <laughs> airplane TV. Yes, they do. Can, I, is there I anything you'd like to touch on? <laughs> Please go for it. So, I think it was impressive. That they picked a show that it, it can it's not it works still today except it's a first season episode so the animation is still really rough and it's still I like wonder, tra- it's like tracy Ullman's show almost yeah animation so i wonder if you're like i don't know 18 and you've only grown up with the symptoms like much more polished if that is now super jarring to be like wait what the fuck is that why is that the simpsons but it looks super weird uh in this movie <laughs> as opposed to a show like that it just like came and went and no one even knows about anymore so i'd, I'd be curious to know but I, it's um one of, is one of my favorite parts of this that like it's the simpsons is on and it's the uh the scene where they're at the uh psychiatrist and they're electrocuting each other <laughs> Do you know uh, the episode like classic? Name. Do you know the episode name? Oh, God. 
I looked it up, so I'm not gonna. I won't no say disgrace like home. Oh yeah, you're. Yep, there's no disgrace like home. Holy shit! Uh, <laughs> I am uh, who I am. <laughs> uh, you are who you are, and you just fucking showed all your cards on that one, buddy. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I'm proud of you. That's that's why. Uh, so my wife, when we're watching like trivia shows, is like always like, you need to like go do this, <laughs> and. I'm always like, no, I am very specific in my knowledge. And yeah, <laughs> I could hit it right. Or it'd be the most embarrassing moment of my life. And hers. Um, have you ever, let me ask you, all right, tied to that, because I've done this. Have you ever, like, thrown an answer on trivia just because you're like, all right, this is, this is too deep into my knowledge skill set and I don't want to reveal how nerdy yes. I actually am. <laughs> I've done it a hundred percent. Yes, it. yes. The or worst I'm... was so uh, the girl I dated in college. I went to the beach with her family, and we the game seen it. We're like, it's yeah. like you put the DVD in, and it was like, but it's kind of trivia. Like movie, it was like movie trivia. So there is uh, one of the categories was it just shows empty blank tiles, but it's the title of the movie. So say it's like Die Hard 2. It'll have, or it, well, it's probably easier to say Die Hard. It'll have three like blank spots for the die, four blank spots for hard. And then it'll slowly reveal letters and you try to guess it. So we're doing this game and the thing pops up and it, it shows and it's got it's two words and it shows just the tiles and I say the Godfather, <laughs> and it was the Godfather, and I get it right with zero letters <laughs> revealed. <laughs> and then they were like, and they, that's when they all looked at each other like, "This isn't very fun to play with you." <laughs> like, and after that, I was uninvited from all vacations going forward. Yeah, uh, but it's also like I do have, like, for what it's worth, I do have a master's degree in film. Like, like most people have degrees in shit you don't play trivia in. Like, that's true like so it's like yeah whatever like, makes yeah, you feel better not. whatever makes you feel better buddy <laughs> oh it doesn't make me feel any better at all because i have hundreds of dollars of student loan payments every month that i have I, to, that's that's how you should have, have to punctuated pay is that is like you should just slam your hands on the table but it's like i fucking paid to know this <laughs> yeah but like, yeah we can we need to play but i need to like if i win i need 40 grand <laughs> <laughs> That's what you should do is like for the first one, you should just slow play it. And then for round two, it's like, what if we up the stakes? Great. What, like, what is it? Like buying the next round? But, no, no, no. You're uh, going to so pay me $25,000 for, for, for to win this fucking so, trivia game. But it's also because like this is shit like I'm into. It's like, I listen to podcasts and stuff. Like, yeah, like I know some of this stuff. But, like, man, there's a fucking people out there who like would bury me into the ground on trivia on this stuff. It's like, I, I, I'm not really interested in going down that road to just like, there are people who like live and breathe this shit. I just like have picked it up over my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's times where I'm like, I wonder what better information I could use if I actually freed up capacity <laughs> to get rid of all this useless fucking yeah, you know, like culture cure cancer or like yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not even saying that. I just feel like I probably would be better at my job. Probably, probably oh yeah, like remember you know important dates <laughs> stuff like that. So, well, all right, where all would right, you so- where would you gonna rank? Where are you gonna rank? Um, uh, I was very, very curious about this. Sitting down the, to watch it, the 1991, or sorry, 1990 action classic, Die Hard, Die Hard Two, 
die harder. I prefer I was... my title harder to die. <laughs> that's a, I think that's a Steven Seagal movie. Uh, I will look that up while you give your answer. <laughs> Steven Seagal is harder to die. <laughs> he seems like he has a big enough ego. He's like it worked. It worked really well for for Willis. We're gonna do the same thing for me. Except oh, no, take, so take, I am, take that and whisper it, and that's pretty much what he said. I am four out of five yippee kaye motherfuckers. I like it. I Which am, is higher higher than I thought I would be, honestly. But I really fucking enjoyed the movie. Watch it this time, and uh, yeah, I I think it's in the shadow of Die Hard, and so that's always maybe is why. But I, I thought it was great. I loved it. I love it too. Uh, I, it is it is a tough follow up to, um, to the nineteen eighty eight classic of Die Hard. I think I'm gonna have to give it three and a half Colonel Stewart butts out of five. <laughs> <laughs> my, my other option, my other option was uh, three and a half uh, air uh, flight Windsor crashes out of five. I feel like that was too, too dark. So. Like that was probably too dark. So. No, I would, I would have gone with that one. Okay. <laughs> Just the fact that you knew called it Flight Windsor. Or Windsor, Windsor, whatever number. Yeah. Cole Meany Flight, Cole Meany Flight Crash, <laughs> whatever. Um, all right, what are we doing next? We have a D'Souza run. I think we said we're doing four or five movies. Um, we're kind of so, bouncing around. I don't think we're going necessarily sequentially, but what do you think we should do next? I was going to go semi-sequentially, but I think actual theatrical release would be Hudson Hawk, but I, I think I need a little more breathing room for that. So I was going to say Ricochet. I'm good with Ricochet. I think I, I and I will, I haven't seen it in a long time. I will put Ricochet up there as a good movie. So I have uh, never seen it. Uh, I, I think you'll like it. I, it's, it's a, I think it's, I'm excited. It's early Denzel Washington. Who's really good in it. It's um, a lot of it's, it's yeah. Denzel Washington good in the movie. Yeah, oh, I never heard of no it. No way, weird. weird. <laughs> that guy. Um, yeah, uh, he's really good in it. And then I, it's like uh, a precursor to the John Lithgow villain from Cliffhanger, almost. Yeah, John um, Lithgow's a villain is always always a good time. It, it's it's a fun movie. It's also <laughs> spoiler alert. I, I, Got, I watched Shrek this weekend, so yeah, I'm I'm prepared for the John Lithgow villain. <laughs> well, it's got Kevin Pollock as um nothing, nothing for you, my Shrek jokes. <laughs> I'm sorry, no, I don't, nothing I for you, my my Shrek jokes. <laughs> I love I love Shrek too. I don't know what uh, Shrek one, two, and three. Let's tell you, <laughs> I uh, I've watched uh, I've watched oh, fuck Shrek after uh, the, the Grinch stole Christmas, the Jim Carrey 2000 movie, about nine times this week because my youngest insist on watching it every day <laughs> christmas in july it, uh, not when your fucking eyes want to bleed because you're tired of seeing jim carrey uh dressed as the fucking grinch um but it's okay he enjoys it that's what's important so um no but it, it, it's it, i think ricochet is actually a, a really fun movie okay it's a d'souza written script um i actually don't recall who it's directed by now i'm gonna go look that up real quick so while you're looking that up um just as a funny aside you asked me when i, I told you i had watched die hard to ask me where i watched it and i was like well i i own the dvd and the vhs so it was a pretty easy one for me um i, I do not own ricochet having never seen it i do not own hudson hawk 
Um, I, I but the other two we've talked about, I, I do own Street Fighter and I do own Judge Dredd. <laughs> so everyone judge me accordingly, which so That's, a funny story, though, man. about the Judge Dredd. The Street Fighter I own because that was a very recent semi-recent purchase uh, it was a few years uh, ago i'm hoping you were semi-drunk a... when you bought it because jesus no, christ no, i i went on a big van damme kick um and no i will intended. i will save yeah yeah that's very true hey. I, I will save my um batshit crazy van damme theory for when we do like a van damme run but um went there there I don't know if you have a, a second in Charles. It does like used books, movies, stuff like that. But they have like pretty cheap, like used DVDs. So like, I was like, oh, I'm watching a bunch of these. Well, I can rent them on Amazon for like $2.99 or $3.99. Or like they sell these movies for like a fucking dollar or something. So I, I bought a bunch of Van Damme movies there and like went on a nice run of it, um, which was fun. And um, yeah, so. <laughs> We did the. If we ever do Van Dam, I I have lots of thoughts. Oh, we're, uh, we're but, gonna do a Van Dam run. So Judge Dredd, I was working at a Borders bookstore before they went bankrupt and out of business. And you were in L.A., right? Um, I think this would have been L.A. I worked at one in Virginia when I was in grad school, but I think this would have been in L.A. And um, things were getting like marked down, and <laughs> Judge Dredd was a dollar. <laughs> and that's all right that's fine I, so, i'm no judgment i get literally, it. that's, that's, that's no, cheap li- but literally multiple people were like why are you buying that and like because it's a dollar and like yeah but it's a dollar and now you have judge dread <laughs> and there are multiple people trying to like talk reason to me of like what you're doing is wrong right now <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> I'm literally just spending a dollar to buy a stupid movie in there. Um, so it was very funny. Uh, I, I'm excited uh, to talk. So, but- I, I'm excited to talk about it. I actually was a to speak on the nerdy stuff. I was uh, I was a big uh, Judge Dredd fan as a kid. I read and I actually used to collect the comics from the 19, late 1970s, early 1980s. Sort of the uh, I can't remember off the top of my head now the name of the the publisher, but it was the the original british um comic series before it, it got adapted and i think dark horse brought it to the united states dc or dark horse brought it to the united states um i really enjoyed the comics um i will i will say the stallone movie i'm not sure i'm looking forward to rewatching it <laughs> how that holds up i, I will say though some rob it, schneider or, I've, fuck um <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty tough. I uh, that's gonna be, this gonna be a it's, it's, it's a tough beat on that one. Yeah, that's I will I will say though um, the the I think it was 2012 or maybe a little bit later the Carl Urban one that's just called Dread. I'm not seeing that. I've that's that. really good. And, and I think if you're a fan of the comic book, that one hits pretty close to. The, I mean, as cheesy as okay. it sounds, I, that I, hits I really close. And I, I think um, Carl Urban's really good and and um, really. I think the difference between the two is going to be coming down. It comes down to ego <laughs> of, of Stallone in 1995 versus, you know, somebody trying yeah. to kind of adhere to yeah. something that, that as, as the original material worked. So looking forward to yeah, it. This is, this was super fun. It was, I, I think this super fun. I think this might be my favorite one we've done so far. D'Souza Palooza. I Part- think we're well set up for the D'Souza Palooza. 
should continue. <laughs> I'm excited. So we're doing Ricochet next. Uh, and then I guess we should probably do like a like a drawing or something like that to figure it out. I'd like to get as much space to your point as we can between us and Hudson Hawk. I, I, I wouldn't mind it being a Hudson Hawk sandwich. Ooh. And the <laughs> D'Souza Palooza. Uh, <laughs> I just keep thinking, what do our wives think we're doing in here on because they're hearing other sides <laughs> of conversation. <laughs> uh, right. I don't know what they think we're doing. I know what they're doing. That's true. They're probably Googling divorce attorneys. <laughs> exactly right. All right, buddy. Well, I look forward to talking to, to you next week about Ricochet. I think that'll be a fun one too. And uh, we'll continue the D'Souza Palooza. Just the palooza. Goodbye. I love you. <laughs>